This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. He said, hold on tight, it's gonna be a heck of a night. Especially when you hear what I've got to say. And when you said, I don't love you. First tear broke through Now it's coming down like a Tennessee rain Oh yeah What is going on podcast fans? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to another episode Episode 152 of the Moranalytics Podcast Presented today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular Go to PulseCellular.com, get 10% off any data plan each and every single month by using promo code MORAN at checkout. Today is Friday, September 13th. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Coming up on the pod today, you know, every now and then I like to Throw a little bit of an off-speed changeup from that normal fastball, and that is exactly what I'm going to do today. Don't get me wrong, I'll still have some Buffalo Bills talk later on in the podcast, more on that in a few, but today for a third time on this podcast, I'm going to have a featured guest from the world of music, and more specifically, the world of TV reality singing shows, Addison Agan who not only was on season 13 of The Voice two years ago, not only was a finalist on The Voice, but she made it all the way to the finale and finished in second place on The Voice, which, by the way, incredibly, she did all of this at just 16 years old. That is absolutely amazing. Addison Hagen is going to be my guest today. We talk about her growing up quite literally born to sing and entrenched in music pretty much all of her life. She started singing at just the age of four years old. Not really surprising considering her mom is a musical therapist and her dad bought a record store when she was just nine. We talk about some of her earliest musical influences, her strong religious upbringing, of course, spent a lot of time talking about the voice. Addison takes us inside the very long and ardent process of becoming a contestant on the show, which, by the way, is far more of a process than the average fan knows. She discusses some of the nerves that she had to deal with, that she had to overcome before performing, 
that feeling that she had when Miley Cyrus and Adam Levine, two of the biggest music stars on this earth, are battling each other to be her coach. Talk about how her time on The Voice nearly came to an end before The Voice playoffs even began. Initially, she was not chosen in the battle rounds. She got stolen. We'll talk plenty about that. Being the first contestant in season 13 to chart in the top 10 on iTunes, the relationships that she built on The Voice, and making it all the way to the finale on one of the world's most popular TV shows. We also hit on what she's been up to since the show ended, which, by the way, included opening for a series of shows in Detroit for the legendary, iconic rock star Bob Seger. I mean, wow. And what new music of hers we'll have to look forward to in the future? After that, I got my Buffalo Bills fixed with my man Joe during our regular installment of The Running With Joe. Today, we're talking Josh Allen overreactions on social media before, during, and after the Bills season opener that went over the Jets. We're talking about Jason Kroom not being released by the team. And if that's worth the story, considering that he is dating the owner's daughter. And we both offer predictions for this Sunday's Bills-Giant game before Joe hits his finisher on football culture. Good stuff with Joe. Back to Addison, though, real quick before we get things going. If you know me or if you listen to this podcast, you know I've had Matthew Schuler on from The Voice previously, as well as Elliot Yamin from American Idol. I am an unapologetic reality TV singing show fan, borderline TV singing show junkie, always have been. And as long as they keep putting them out, I always will be. Addison Aiken was one of my favorite contestants on any of these shows ever. Absolutely loved her. Loved her on The Voice. And I reached out to her to have her on the podcast, which she graciously accepted. Listen, I love great songbirds. And I love that term, songbirds, by the way. This young lady truly is one of them. There's something to be said out there for performers dancing, flying around the stage when they're out there. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy that. It's very entertaining. But I love watching singer-songwriters out there doing their thing more than anything else. There's no gimmicks when Addison sings. He just, she knocks you out with incredible vocals and passion. You can feel what she's singing. You really can. And I'm such a big fan. And as I got to know her a little bit, both before and during this interview, I realized how nice of a person she is, how down to earth she is, kind human being. So now I'll tell you what, man, I like her as a person even more than a singer now. So anyway, on that note, not going to waste any more time here. Got really good segments coming up. First up, here is my interview with the fantastic singer-songwriter Addison Agan, followed by the far less attractive and sounding Joe with another installment of The Running With Joe. Let's do it. All right, I'm pumped about this one. My guest today is a very talented singer and songwriter who in 2017 reached the finale on season 13 of the NBC hit reality singing TV show, The Voice. In fact, she ended up finishing as runner-up on the show and incredibly did so at just 16 years old. I am talking about 
the insanely talented Addison Egan. What's going on, Addison? How you doing? Thanks for doing the pod. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, obviously, this is primarily a sports podcast, but every now and then, I like to kind of throw a curveball. This is definitely one of them. I was fortunate enough to have Matthew Schuler on from The Voice and also Elliot Yamin from American Idol on previously. So you're the third reality TV singing contestant finalist that I've had on this podcast. And I was a big, big fan of yours, man. So real excited to have you on today. Oh, well, thank you. I'm super happy to be here. So what I want to do is kind of go back to the beginning and work our way up towards current, which in your case really isn't all that long because, again, you were in the finale of The Voice at just 16 years old. That absolutely blows me away. But anyway, you were born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And from what I read, you started singing at just four years old. How did music attract you so early on in life? Yeah. Um, okay. So music is all throughout my family. Everyone in my family. Like my dad owns a record store and was in a bunch of bands. My mom's a music therapist and a worship leader and just like, and she teaches music at a college. So it's just all over the place. And my family started leading worship together because I'm a Christian and I grew up in the church. Um, and that's really where I even learned how to sing and uh, how to learn harmony and all those things. But I, I started just like super little on on stage with my mom at church I sitting at the piano and she'd be like okay you're in charge of these three notes or something like that <laughs> and put and and color code them or something like that and I just push them when when I knew it was the right time so I I started music so so young and it's just always been something I've enjoyed and loved and it was a hobby for my whole life and then when the voice happened I uh it I realized it could be more of a career, but I just love it so much. And my whole family does as well. You mentioned your dad opening a record store. I read that you were nine years old. Your dad bought a record store, at least in part, to give you a chance to explore and learn many different types of music and influences. Who were a few of your earliest influences musically that you can remember? Yeah, um, my earliest influences, I remember listening to a lot of Nora Jones and a lot of Brandy Carlisle, a lot of like Mumford and Sons, the Avid Brothers, stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And my, my dad introduced me to some like sort of different bands. Like he introduced me to T-Rex, things like that. So more out of the box things. And my mom sort of showed me that the female uh singer-songwriters that I take so much inspiration from. Let's plug your dad's music store real quick here. It's called Neat, Neat, Neat Record in Fort Wayne, correct? I got that right? Yes, you got that right. You started writing songs at 11 years old, and your dad built little stage inside that record store so you could perform. How much of that experience helped you get used to performing? And, man, that's really young to start writing writing songs already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's someone told me uh, a while ago to do what you can't not do. And that really stuck with me. Um, songwriting so much so in in my blood. It's just always been there. And it's been my outlet without even thinking about it as to where to place my creativity. It always lands back in songwriting. And, and with the stage thing, that's just like I grew up on church stages, but it was really cool to 
step out of that environment and have like a crowd that went there not just for worship but to hear your own heart right um it, it was it was really really cool to be able to play my originals that was one of the first places i really got to stand out and play originals that i i was writing one of the things and you and you mentioned this that your mom does is, is being a musical therapist at nursing homes and you've helped her out by singing to nursing home residents i would imagine yeah. beyond just you know, getting more experience and getting to sing, I, I feel like that's got to be very therapeutic for you as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I literally grew up, I was homeschooled as well. So I would follow her around and then um, either do schoolwork at these places or go room to room with her, which I, I loved doing both. And yeah, it was really great in a way that even from a young age, giving back to the community and just seeing music bring so much life to people who are stuck in bad situations. That is just like super healing for anyone to see and be a part of. Sure. Now, not everyone knows this, and we're certainly going to talk about The Voice in a minute here, but you actually dropped an album before The Voice in 2016. You were just 15 years old. That album was called New Places. Tell me a little bit about that experience of having an album at 15 years old. Yeah, so that was a really interesting experience. I had... No, I'd never recorded anything before, never really been in a studio to record anything. It's all original music that I had written by that point. And I actually recorded it when I was, like, started recording it when I was 13. And then, like, through 14, it took a while. And all of the musicians on the album are under 18. I think the drummer's the oldest one, and he's 18. But there were some people that were, like, my piano player was 12 and oh, my wow. brother played bass on it. And we all just like got together and we were just like testing everything out and seeing what this felt like and what it looked like. Yeah. And all of us still play music, which is really cool. That is really cool. So what made you decide initially to audition for The Voice? I read that your Spanish teacher might have had a little bit of an influence in that. Yes, actually. So I, I was homeschooled till eighth grade and then I went to high school and played on the volleyball team. and they asked me to sing the national anthem for one of their games. Mm-hmm. And my Spanish teacher was there and she heard me sing and freaked out. And she's really into like game shows. Her family was on like family feud. So, and I had never even thought about actually trying to be on the voice. I was a fan of the show from like YouTube clips. Right. Um, and so she, she reached out and found that there was one open slot left at the open calls in Chicago two days later from that. So she emailed my mom and was like, hey, if you, if Addison wants to do this, I signed her up. If she wants to go, I'm down to drive her. And I live three hours away from Chicago. She was like, I'm down to like wake up early and head there. And so that's what we did. And I was told the day before, she was like, hey, if you want to go audition, like, let's go. And so <laughs> I just did. It was super spare the moment, last minute, like leap of faith, might as well type of thing. <laughs> Now, what was that audition process like for you from the first time you audition until it airs on TV? I had Matthew Schuler on the podcast not too long ago. He's a finalist from season five. And he talked about having an audition basically multiple times for various producers over the course. A yeah. good amount of time before he ended up auditioning in front of the judges. Was that kind of similar for you? Were you Was your audition yes. quick and then you were on TV or was that kind of a long process for you? What was that process was- like? quite a long process the process of like it was pretty much half of a year the whole process 
started in January and the end of the season was halfway through December. So it was pretty much a year process. So I auditioned when I was 15 in Chicago. Um, and I, it was that another story, but was the worst audition of my entire life. By the grace of God, I made it through because I genuinely didn't know a single word or the melody or whatever. I just, I have no idea how I made it through. Really? Um, I was terrified, genuinely, actually terrified. And I don't really get nerves that much. Right. It was terrifying. But the next day, then they come back and there's another audition. Um, and then you wait like a month because they're like sending all of the videos and everything and uh, like sound to other producers and they let you know and then they call you and then they're like all right you're going out to LA for a week so then there's two more auditions out in LA then you're back to your hometown wait for another month then they call you and say hey you're coming out to blind auditions so you go out to blind auditions and blind auditions are months long and throughout that there's not really like specific auditions but they're pretty much watching you the whole time and a lot of people like pretty much like 15, 20 people still at that point, even though there's only a hundred of them get sent home at, at the month, oh, wow. uh, long blind audition. So it's quite the process. If I do say so myself, it's, it's like, it's pretty long. And then there's, so from June to December is when they're actually filming it for TV. Like June is when they start filming the blind audition. Now I read before that you auditioned for the voice. You had never flown before. That's correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'd never been on a plane. Before. Was that nerve wracking for you? I got a son that flew for the first time a few years ago and I remember him kind of freaking out. Yeah. Was it kind yeah, of similar the for you? Was, I thought my ears were going to explode and I brought like <laughs> 50 packs of gum and I was just like way over prepared. <laughs> How do you keep your nerves in check before you audition when you know it's going to be on TV, especially being as young as you are? Maybe that's kind of an advantage, I guess, in a way. I mean, you're, it's one thing. Like for me, I get nervous singing karaoke in front of like 10 people at a bar right now. You know what I'm saying? You, you're <laughs> yeah. singing in front of Adam Levine and Blake Shelton and Miley Cyrus, Jennifer Hudson, not to mention an audience and TV cameras everywhere. And you know that people around mm-hmm. the world are watching this. How do you keep your nerves in yeah. check before something like that? Um, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, sure it, I'm, I'm sure you're nervous, but you also know that yeah. you got to be able to keep it in check because you got a performance to do. Yeah, absolutely. There are nerves. There's no way you can like lie to yourself and tell yourself that there are not nerves. But uh, I I mean, there's obviously like some simple tricks of just like taking deep breaths because that will just like slow your heart rate down. So you're technically more calm. But for me, I just try to only think about the words and actually be invested in the song as if I'm just singing it alone only for my like my liking of like this is just for me even though there are millions of people that watch the voice and it is actually it's scary to think how many people are watching it through a screen but it's hard you can also kind of be like out of sight out of mind and just focus on who's in the room Mm -hmm. which was like very not nerve-wracking actually because you learn to like totally trust the coaches and they they totally trust you and the audience members are just there to support and they're excited to be there so just do the best you can and you should be okay and that's just how i looked at it and definitely reminded myself that each week so uh, on the season it was the third episode it was in october 2017 your audition airs you sang jolene by joe lamontaine at your audition and you crushed it man you had both miley and adam turn their chairs around you ended up choosing miley at that time 
Did you have a plan ahead of time that you would select Miley as she turned for her chair for you? Or did you kind of wing it and just say, I'll, I'll play it along as it goes? And also, by the way, Blake talked Miley up during that banner after you sang. Did that have any impact on your choice? Because, you know, it was her and Adam going at it and Blake's talking up Miley. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Adam and Blake are always just like not right. wanting each other to, to do well. <laughs> um, I I had uh, definitely thought about it and I've taken inspiration from Miley's boldness and her like courage to do what she wants. And just being a female in the industry, I took a lot of inspiration from. So I had planned to pick her if the choice if she had turned around but that also like if i would have listened to what they were actually saying i was so scatterbrained at that point like sure. once they had turned around i could not think at all so if i would have actually listened to what was going on i think i would have ended up going with adam right off of the bat because later on i lost my battle and i ended up being with adam the rest of the time i think it was really really cool to be on miley's team and i don't like take that back at all because it was like an all-female team, which was the first time ever, and I got really close to my team. But me and Adam did work really, really well together. So I think that was a huge blessing in disguise that I did lose my battle, or yeah, my battle, and uh, ended up on Adam's team. But I love both of them dearly. I'm going to talk about that battle in a second. But okay, so you're a teenage girl singing in record stores, singing in nursing homes making your own music. You have a, a local following. This is a whole different level. This is the nation. This is the world watching you sing. And you got two of the best known artists musically in, in the entire world. They turn their chair around for you and they're kind of bad. They're like battling over you. They both want you on their team. Blake's talking her up. He's interested too. It's like, that's gotta be the first of like so many like pinch me moments for you that would go out oh, in your yeah. life, especially on this show. I'm, I would assume. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I got a little starstruck around Miley just because it's like, holy crap, yeah. you're a real human. That was super, super cool. Um, which doesn't also happen to me very often, which it was totally like incredible with someone as, uh, like focused and determined as Miley, as all of them, but as Miley, especially to be like, Oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. It's really cool. I believe in you. Like that's, incredible to hear and just for them to without even seeing me enjoy what I'm what I sound like and what I'm singing and to turn around it was, it was really cool one of my favorite things about your journey on this show is that I believe a lot in, in fate and it was your fate to keep going because you mentioned this a few weeks later the battle rounds start airing your voice career almost came to a quick and sudden halt you and Carly Webster is saying girls just want to have fun. And Miley actually went with Carly, temporarily eliminating you. Both Adam and Jennifer Hudson also immediately hit their steal button. What was that emotion like for you? At least for that few seconds where it felt like yeah. maybe it could be the end. But then just seconds later, you get, again, two world famous singers fighting over you. And at that time, why did you go with Adam? Well, obviously, that turned out to be a great decision. You went all the way to the finale. But that emotions at, at the time, temporarily feeling like at least very short term that, hey, this might be the end for me. I don't know if I'm going to get stolen. But then just seconds later, you do get stolen. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of just like, oh, man, whoa, that just got real. And then it was, thank goodness, pretty quick that they hit their buttons again. So that that didn't last for super long, which was 
which is good because I would like to not panic on <laughs> on stage. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I went with Adam just because what he had said during the blinds and what he had said when giving like their critique back to us after the song. And I, I just totally believed in uh, what he saw in me. Like I, I we, we seemed on the pa- same page. So I, I chose him and it, it turned it turned out uh, right, like a, a smart decision. So, Ab- absolutely. Yeah. No, no question about it. And I know you're not going to do it. I'm going to say it though. It's like when that happened to begin with, I remember watching, I was kind of dumbfounded. My jaw was dropped. I was like, what's happening here? I didn't mind we go <laughs> with, with the, again, no disrespect intended whatsoever, but obviously everything worked out for you. And then in the next round, right, yeah. no drama in the next round, man. You absolutely crushed. You sang Beneath You're Beautiful. You crushed it. The knockout rounds. You advanced to the playoffs. And then you sing Angel from Montgomery and you move on to the live shows. A few questions here. We kind of talked about this earlier, but kind of the same process on how you're able to calm your nerves. Because I'm sure it wasn't the case inside before you take the stage, but watching it on television, it looked like just another day in the park for you. You know what I'm saying? That's how it came off on mm. TV. I'm sure it That's wasn't. awesome. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, uh, lives were a whole different beast. That was, and we were warned of that, thank goodness. But it, it was just crazy all the time. And that was definitely, the first week of lives was definitely probably one of the most nervous performances I've, I've done. It turned out all right. It's not my favorite one, but people seemed to like it. And it was just a really cool experience. And it was, it is, Still one of my favorite songs. I sing uh, She Used to Be Mine for my first live round. And uh, I love that song. So that also calmed my nerves just to be singing a song I love so much. Well, that by the way, it was a lone performance that night to hit the iTunes top 10. And so it was a huge night for you. Kind of established you as one of the show's front runners, which again, it wasn't too long ago where you were almost eliminated. Now you're the only one to hit iTunes top 10 and you're one of the show's front runners. That's quite the difference for you. I had another question too. So the playoffs are taped like end of August, beginning of September, but they don't air to mid-November. What was that period of time for you? Like, you know, you're going to be on the live shows in a few months before most other people did. How was that time period for you? Like in between? Uh, Yeah, that was like my favorite time period ever. I love like keeping things in that people want to know. Probably a bad thing. But um, it was super fun, and people had no idea. I was gone pretty much the whole summer, and everyone, and we weren't allowed to tell people where we were at, obviously, just in case it got out. And so I, I just said I was at a summer camp the entire summer, but just a summer camp with a bunch of adults because, like, I was obviously one of the youngest people there. So it was fun um, to just sort of joke around and then surprise everyone that I then it aired. I think it's September. That's uh, yeah, I think. It's September. September. So that was really, really fun to sort of like have this little thing that I've been working on for almost like over half a year. So it was really cool. I loved, I loved that point. And I was just really excited to rest after playoffs before lives for a little bit and feel uh, normal and not just in this like LA life, like going to the studio every day. It was just nice to like come back um, to my hometown and breathe for a little bit. I got a big mouth. I would never have been able to keep it a secret. Like if, if me and you were close and you were on the show, I, you would have been in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. I, uh, so you, all right. So you, we talked about, she used to be mine hitting top 10. Diddle the next week, uh, my tunes top 10. You did a case of you, a song by Joni Mitchell. I love that song, by the way. And yet again, the following week, lucky Britney Spears. And just like that, 
you're in the semifinals. What's going through your mind at this time? Because it's one thing to audition on the show, make it start to advance. But now you're headed towards a point where you're a contender to win this show. What's going through your mind at that time? Yeah, it really is crazy. You look around at like however many people are left each week and you're just like, wow, it's one of us that is winning this year. Um, and I, at the beginning of it, I had no expectations of to, like to win it all. I, when I first went to LA and like met everyone, I was like, what am I even doing here? This is ridiculous. Mm. Everyone is doing like so much like amazing hitting every note on the scale, like can run, do so many runs and all these tricks and everything like that. And so I was just like, what am I even doing here? So at the very end, yeah, I was in, in complete shock and I still was not like convinced at all that I would come in second place or have the opportunity to like even possibly win the whole thing. Um, I was not even really thinking about it because it still seemed unreal to me, but it was at that point, it was so sad because there were so few people left and all of like, you make such great friends with everyone. It's so sad to see people go. That's like some of the most heartbreaking stuff. We all hated Tuesdays because that was when, yeah. Um, like the the round where someone lets get gets let go, and that we just hated it so much because that means we have to say goodbye. But yeah, and we we grew really really close, which was awesome. But at that point, I had no idea what what was to come. But it was crazy to think like, oh my gosh, one of us eight or one of us four is gonna win this whole thing that we've been doing for like a year. Matthew uh, from the Voice and and Elliot from American Idol had similar stories about that. They say the, their favorite thing about the show is the friendships that they make because you guys spend so much time together you get to know each other kind of come like brother and sister in some way so now we're at the semis there's eight people left sing both sides now it's another brilliant song by Joni Mitchell and then again I I, you're either the first or second one to advance so it's not like there was much drama watching it from Mm -hmm. tv if you're going to be in the finale you were in the finale you weren't one of the three people who had to sing for the the vote you're in What's through your mindset mm-hmm. right now? Now you're in the finals. You're like, oh my God, there's, there's four left and Addison Egan is one of them. That's got to be an incredible moment for you. Yeah, that was crazy. I was just honestly really proud of myself to make it that far. And I was really happy. Like what I was doing, I was changing nothing that I was doing. I Every week I just got up there and sang. I like never moved. If you're watching all the videos, I just sung into a mic standing there singing. And people loved it. And that was like something I was really, really proud of that like people just wanted to hear stories, just like straight singing. And that's it. Um, And I love that. And that's still what I love to do. So I was just really, really happy and proud of myself, proud of the people I was doing it with that we had made it this whole time. And literally grew such great friendships, like all, all of us like especially the ones that made it all the way to the end but some of my closest friends didn't even make it past blind auditions um but we still had lived together for a month at that point in like hotel rooms so yeah we grew so close it was it was crazy to think that i had had made it that far part when i like think back to it it's still super odd all right so in the finale you sing three songs highlighted by tennessee rain which i thought was amazing it was my personal favorite performance of yours on the show. Next night is the results show. What's going through your mind over the 24 hours or so from Monday to Tuesday? I'm sure every week was kind of nerve wracking for you, but this week, this is different. This is yeah. the finale. Were you nervous going in between the, the end of the performance and the results? Or was it like your mindset? You know what? 
I did really good. I did everything I could do, and it, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was, like, a little bit of it is what it is. I've made it this far. Like, this is the last week. And honestly, the only, not the only reason, but a big reason I wanted to keep making it through each week was because I wanted to keep hanging out with all these people. Yeah. Um, and so the last week, I was like, you know what? This is the end. So I made it the whole way. Whatever happens, happens. I'll be proud of whatever I do, no matter what. And all, all the people that love me and support me, We'll be proud too. So I've done all that I can do. And that's sort of what I was thinking. So honestly, it was like, it was like, there was no like fear or nerves or anything like that. It was just sort of like a sad end to uh, like say goodbye. That was, that was a really hard day because that's everyone was saying goodbye. And then the next day everyone was flying home. So right. yeah, it was, it was a lot of emotions of saying goodbye. And then obviously with this whole thing coming to an end, like who was winning, who was like not winning and like, yeah, like not knowing when you'll see each other again or like necessarily what you'll do after or like all of this stuff. It was, it was very emotional those last few days. On the results show, and at the beginning of this interview, I had asked you for a couple of your earliest musical influences. You said Nora Jones. Well, now you're singing in front of the world. You're singing with Nora Jones. I would imagine that'd be a huge yeah. thrill. That'd be a big thrill for you. Oh my gosh, completely. She's just like incredible and super sweet, but also like this powerful woman that sure. I just very much so look up to. Sure. So we get to the results show for the finale. There's four of you. They announced fourth place finisher, third place finisher. Don't hear your name. You're still in it. Now it's down to you and Chloe Kahansky. And I'll tell you, I got to say this, all right? I've watched The Voice in season one. Never stopped watching it. I've been a fan the whole way through. I've been a big Idol fan. I've watched all the seasons until it moved over the last couple seasons on Sunday. To be honest, I haven't watched it the last two seasons. But anyway, my point was this. From what I can remember, all the seasons that I've watched of all these shows, I don't think I've ever saw a finale where there was down to the final two, where I was good with whoever won. I felt like both you and Chloe were very deserving champions, and I was going to be happy no matter who ended up winning. Of course, Chloe ended up winning. You finished second. Again, both very deserving champions, and I'm sure that you felt some happiness for her as well. Yes. Oh my gosh, completely. And I think that was like the case with a lot of people. Like it was super, we did completely different things. Like she was like super rock aggressive, like voice could sing, but also like super sweet. But both of us, the thing that sort of like related to both of us, we really related a lot to lyrics, which was really cool to see at the very end of it all. Like no matter what tricks you can do, no matter how many notes you can hit, it all comes down to the story that you're telling. So I think that's really, really cool. And I am super stoked with all that she's doing now and that she won. And yeah, I'm really proud of her. And I think she totally deserved it. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a big Miley fan. But if, I, if I'm correct, weren't both you and Chloe on that team at this at one time? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And she's going to have both the Chloe finalists. Was on Blake. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? It really is. Brooke, Brooke Simpson, who, was, who came in third place, was who... Miley kept on her team. So her, literally the top three could have all been originally from team Miley. We laughed about that for so long. <laughs> Miley. That's cool though, man. Everything worked out perfect. So let's talk briefly a little bit host voice. Okay. How's that been for you? I know one thing I read that you did a few months ago, you opened up for some shows 
for the legendary Bob Seger in Detroit. That had to be a big thrill. I did. How was that? Yeah, God, you're opening I did. up for Bob Seger. He's he's like an icon in rock and roll. Yeah, he's absolutely a legend. Like completely a legend. Yeah, it was it was amazing to have the opportunity and be in front of those people. And he's such a nice guy. And he came out and met us and was just genuinely really excited about the music we were playing. And that obviously was like the biggest compliment just to have someone want to listen. And that, yeah, I mean, it was just completely an honor and so fun. And everyone was so nice. And we made a lot of friends backstage and like stage hands and sound guys. It was just really amazing. You know, the craziest part for me, and again, having Matthew on the podcast and Elliot on the podcast, they were in their mid-20s, young to mid-20s when they did the show, which is still young, but at least older. The craziest part for me with all this is, this is all going on, this journey for years, while you're still literally in high school. (laughs) That's nuts. How how close to a semi-normal life have you been able to live with all this going on? I would imagine it's not that easy. Yeah, when I first got back, definitely it was not normal oh my gosh whoa addison big like there's my face is like all over fort wayne which is where i live and yeah it was definitely wild but it also was really awesome because my hometown was just like extremely supportive but literally everywhere i went i got recognized which was again super super cool but yeah it was definitely like a a little bit of a shock because you're kind of kept in a bubble in LA because you're working literally so much and around people that are in the same situation as you. So it's not like you're around people that are like, Oh my gosh, Addison. Cause they are your friends. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a little bit of a shock coming back and definitely had to adjust back into somewhere in between normal life and this new life that I was living. What are you up to nowadays? Like what music do we got? look forward to in the future what's addison up to nowadays yeah so i actually originally had already like after the voice i recorded an entire album and decided at the end of it that it wasn't what i wanted to release into the world and it wasn't right yet um and the music i hadn't written the right songs yet it just was not sounding how my heart felt so i rewrote all music for a new album and that's done that process is done now i've completely written a whole new album and like chosen which songs i really want on the album um and we're in the process of arranging right now and finding the right studio this time to record at um so that's sort of like it's taken so long because i've done the process twice yeah <laughs> but yeah that is that's what's going on and i'm i'm just like in love with these songs and really cherish them um and i'm so excited for people to hear them and i don't have a date obviously for when that will happen but it is happening um and i'm super excited about it so that's what i've been working on recently well i'm very excited to hear it when it eventually does come out i'll be looking out for it and i'm sure a lot of your fans will as well all right addison so this is what we're going to do i end this the same way with every guest that i have on i'm going to do a little mini lightning round i'm just going to ask you a handful of random kind of fun human interest questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's your answer. Okay. You good with that? Yeah. Sounds fun. All right, let's go. Favorite all-time singer. And I know you probably got a lot, but I'm putting a gun to your head right now. You can only pick one favorite all-time singer. Brandy Carlisle. Okay. What's a nice relaxing activity 
that you like to do for yourself that doesn't involve music? I journal a lot. Favorite city that you've ever been able to visit? I recently went to Pensacola, and I love it there. Okay. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush? Uh, probably Zac Efron from like High School Musical. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite movie? <laughs> a favorite movie? Oh my gosh, my favorite movie is We Bought a Zoo. Okay, with Matt Damon, right? Yeah, I love that movie. So I do much. too. I do too. All right, last couple here. Name a TV game show that if you were on it, you feel like you could potentially dominate it, whether it's a current game show or a past one. Ooh, honestly, probably um, Family Feud. That'd be so cool. My family would be really fun at that. Okay. If you didn't have the gift of singing to provide a living, okay, if your voice sounding crappy, like say mine does, all right, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you may be trying to do with your life right now as you're becoming an adult if you weren't able to have the gift of singing? I would uh, absolutely be a tattoo artist. I was actually planning on doing that and going to like, do an internship right when the voice started happening or like going to shadow one of uh, my favorite artists. So yeah, that would, that would have been my other option. Wow. That's really cool. All right. Last question here. And to be fair, this could be a very difficult question, especially when you don't have time to sit, think and ponder it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I always do. You could have three dinner guests over your house tonight, any era, dead or alive. Doesn't matter who it is. You can have three people over your house, have some eats, have some conversations, some laughs, whatever it is that you guys want to talk about, who you got? Okay, I think I would pick all females that have, like, sort of... I, w I think I would pick Joni Mitchell. Okay. Brandi Carlisle. Okay. And who are two names I've already spoken about. And, oh, man, that is so hard. It is. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I might throw in someone else, like Ed Sheeran or something, actually. I, I changed my answer on the all-female thing. I think that'd be kind of cool to have like an, uh, a pop singer's perspective on our conversation. So to recap, we got Joni Mitchell, Brandi Carlisle, and Ed Sheeran. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, everyone. Give Addison a follow on Twitter at Addison Hagen. Also, check out AddisonHagen.com for latest news, music, shows, all kinds of cool stuff. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks a lot for doing this, Addison. I'm a big fan of yours. Was a big fan of yours on the show. Become a big fan of yours since. Good person, man. I really enjoy talking to you. I really appreciate you. This was awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless, and with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data, coast-to-coast -coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com all right it's time for another installment of the running with joe as always i am joined right now by my buddy joe from new york city buffalo wins on twitter you might be living in New York City, but actually right now, dude, 
You're in our hometown of Buffalo, New York, both our hometowns. What's going on, man? How you doing? What's up? I'm living the dream, just chilling on my mom's couch. Uh, in Pendleton, which I'm not going to lie, I'm not exactly a huge fan of Pendleton. It's kind of in the sticks. And right. I consider myself more of a, a city guy than like a farm guy. So <laughs> Pendleton, but it's always it, good. it is a farm down for sure, man. How long have you been yeah. out there for? How long have you been up there for? I've man? been here. I got here the week before the opener. Uh, so about 10 days as we, as we're, we're chatting right now. So 10, 12 days, I'm probably going to stay until I think a little bit after the opener. I just, I'm, I just got a job where I can work remotely, which has kind of been my career for the last year. It seems like, right. so when I get something like that, I'm like, I'm usually, I'm of the process of, Hey, I'll, I'll stay in Buffalo and just hang out with my parents and, you know, you're talking about staying through the bills home opener in two weeks. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably cool. going to stay. Uh, I've thought about maybe trying to go to that game. Uh, I have a friend who works at a uh, it's a Delaware North, so I'm trying to get her to like, hey, see if you can get some tickets because she got us tickets last time to like a Sabres game where I mean where it was in really nice seats. So I'm seeing if she can pull that out of her out of her tail. <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll see. I don't I don't know if I'm gonna go yet. I'm kind of weird about going the Bills games now. Like I'm very. I'm a little too old for it. Like I just don't. The idea of pounding drinks at like eight a.m. it just doesn't. It yeah, just doesn't I make me you, excited it, anymore. It's hard to get motivated to do that at our old age. I completely agree. Yeah. With that. Now you've been going out, man. I, I follow, of course, on Twitter, and we're also friends on Facebook. So I see your check-ins. You've been getting out. Stalker. You've been getting out. Yeah, I know. You've been getting out kind of decent amount of times lately. But here's the thing, man. You like. You go to places that, I mean, I'm born and raised in Buffalo. I've lived there for almost 45 years and you're hitting spots that like, I've never heard of, I've never been to. Well, I mean, yeah, I've been kind of, what the heck have I got? I already forgot where I've gone already. I mean, I've tried to go to a couple of breweries uh, since I've been back. I mean, that's what I usually try to hit up. I usually try to hit up the local brewery scene. It's kind of what I'm into. Uh, more or less, it's that's that's where it is. I mean, you go back and you you're all about the chicken wings and all that sort of stuff. I'm more about the local beer and going there and trying different beers. Uh, you know, I was actually at one of your locations you went to uh, a few weeks back when you, when you interviewed Harrington. I went to Amherst Al uh, the other night. Where I actually, like I met, I, good. I've been there before. It's actually the closest bar to my parents' house. Like oh, okay. you know, you can get drinks, which is not that close. It's like a ten. It's like a 10 minute drive there, I guess. So I can't, it's hard for me to like fathom what exactly is close in Buffalo to a bar because like living in Queens, it's like literally I can walk out of my apartment and it's a six minute walk to the the nearest bar. Okay. Like quick, like in here, you know, I kind of forgot what it's like to like drive. Like I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I got to drive like 10, 15 minutes somewhere to go to a bar. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of. I'm not used to that because I always feel like Buffalo is always like one of those cities where it's always like, hey, there's a, uh, you know, a bar on every corner. And I don't think that's the case as much as especially if you live in Pendleton. There's no there's no oh, bar sure. on every now, corner. Pendleton, I'll tell you what, though. Try living in Florida, bro. It, you said a 10 minute ride. Everything in Florida is 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, almost anything you do is 20 to 30 minutes. Did you eat at Amersale House or did you just get some beers? No, there? I just, I just, I actually went there to go see Dell from the Bills from 26 shirts. Oh, he was okay. doing a pop-up and I just stopped by to say hi to him. And Good uh, dude. that was it. Yeah. So, but I, I have to do a few more other places to go to. Uh, I haven't really gone up too much like here and there, but uh, I still got a lot of time left to figure stuff out. You know, people are busy and that's like kind of, I have to sometimes motivate myself to get my ass up and, 
go to other places. Working remotely is kind of cool, man. When you get the opportunity to, I, I think you would admit though, it could get a little boring at times because you know, you're by yourself, you're not socializing, you're not interacting with other people, but it does afford you the opportunity to go wherever at times. I mean, your job's not always remote. Mine pretty much is. So I could be anywhere I want. That's why I'm in Florida right now working a regular full-time job, but it doesn't really matter where I am. Um, have you had wings at all in Buffalo? Of course, No, of course not. Really? No, I haven't had any wings, dude. I can care less. Come on, man. Dude, I can care less. I, I already told you I can care less about having wings in general. I, I, I consider a- us friends, but we couldn't be more different in some ways. You ain't trying to have wings. I can't go two days in Buffalo without having wings. You like the breweries. I like the dumpy dive bars where I'm getting PBRs for $2 or maybe a Bud Light for two fifty three bucks at the most. We could be more different. Well, hey, you know, I just, that's just how I, I roll. Like, and I told you this before, like when I worked at the pizzeria, I've made wings for a living for 10 years and I just don't care about them that much in terms of coming back. Oh, I got to have these wings. I, I, you know, it's just, that's just how it is. It's I like the beer. Enough. I love, I love going to, I think you have not experienced breweries. I, that's what I think is the biggest issue in terms of it. You I'm know, cheap. so I'm cheap. I'm going to be honest with you, bro. I'm probably, it's probably because I'm too cheap and I don't allow myself an opportunity. Why am I going to pay uh-huh. $6, 650 to get a light lager like I would because I enjoy Bud Light. Why am I going to pay six six fifty for a pint of beer for something that's not Bud Light? They'll say, I always go to a brewery and I'll say, well, what's the closest thing you have to a Bud Light? And then they'll tell me and I end up buying it. But it's like six fifty, man. I'm like, oh, look, I'm on. telling you, and we've, I, we probably established this in the last podcast we did. You and I in Christmas, at, at Christmas, we have to go to a brewery. That's where I want to do our roundtable. If round they have table. wings, I'll that- compromise with you. The, if they have wings, okay, so, okay. I think there's some breweries that have wings. There I know there are. Yeah, they're definitely. Yeah, are. so we're we're gonna go there and we're gonna get you a flight of beers and I'm gonna have you taste each one and that's that's gonna be our thing. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a flight of beers. We get five small ones. You're gonna taste it and maybe we'll even we'll even do a, a taster's choice. Maybe I'll bring some Bud Light and see if you could figure out which one's a Bud Light and which one's not. And you can <laughs> see the difference. Like you have a Bud Light and you go, is that a Bud Light or not? That way you can at least like taste the difference. Because there is such a difference with craft beer than the regular domestic beer. Trust me, it's it's night and day. I mean, I'll, it's, I'll it's, give it it's, a shot, man. I'll give it a shot for yeah. sure. Stop being a cheapskate, you <laughs> fool. I, I am a cheapskate, but that's all right. Uh-huh. All right, let's get a little bit of our sports fix in. We I just had a nice long interview with Addison from The Voice. She was fantastic. But we got to talk a little bit of sports here. I got just a couple things for today. One of them, obviously, is Josh Allen, okay? I've talked about the game. We're not going to rehash the game, of course, but I I do want to talk about this because I know you got pretty strong takes. Dude had four turnovers in the first half, okay? How much of it was entirely on him? We're not going to debate that because it it doesn't really matter, okay? Bottom line is the Bills had four turnovers in their first six possessions. He should have had a fifth. He threw an interception and it got called back because of a holding penalty that honestly didn't really have much to do with that play. And then the Jets in the third quarter dropped another pretty easy interception as the Bills were going in to score, or so it appeared anyway. So that could have potentially been six turnovers by this offense. And when you turn the ball over four times and a half, it's going to draw criticism. Now, I know Bills fans, especially like on social media, are ultra sensitive about Josh Allen. And I get it because a lot of national media has blasted this guy before he ever even took a snap. So to some extent, I get it, okay? But when you turn the ball over four freaking times in the first half, you deserve criticism. And I'm telling you this on a first-hand account because I tweeted at halftime. I criticized him. I had a, it was a short and simple tweet. I said something to the effect of, 
if you think the national media, I said, if you thought the critics of Josh Allen were loud before with a bunch of periods, meaning, all right, this dude was terrible in the first half. He's turning the ball over. Just wait. Of course, the Bills turned around the second half and they win the game, which is great. And Josh Allen was fantastic in the fourth quarter. Doesn't mean he doesn't deserve criticism for the first half because, man, if you could see my mentions over the next handful of hours, people retweeting what I said two, three hours ago, um, hashtagging, you know, cold takes and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Some Bills fans, especially on Twitter, some of them are just the worst, man. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's, you say it have a lot of good points. I think to start off with like the turnover thing, real quick, you know, it's like we have to have a, like a kind of a, a scale of whose fault is what on interceptions. Like I had so many people who were trying to tell me that those weren't his fault. I had one person tell me, that the that batted passes at the line of scrimmage aren't on the quarterback. And I'm like, what? I'm like, when did that happen? That we, that we're just abst- like abstaining right. from defensive tackles getting their hands on a ball. Like, oh, it's not the it's not it's the quarter it's not the quarterback's fault. Like, I'm starting to think that you know the, the Josh Allen police, which is like the fans here who like they just love to find people who don't like Josh Allen and exploiting them. And like people do like fans do that. There are pockets of the media who love doing that. Like I saw a few people on Twitter in the media who like six hours after the game ended, they started retweeting like Josh Allen takes from two o'clock from like a few mainstream media guys. I I, I had no idea who these guys were. These were like, right. Quote unquote national guys. I'm like, why are you doing this? They did it to me too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not a national guy, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I agree a hundred percent. And it was from media people like who cares? Like it's, I think, you know, (laughs) I think that the whole manifesto of being annoyed by or being critical of Josh Allen has gone from, hey, we want to be right about what we said like previously to the draft to I think people are just so sick and tired of Bills fans going into their mentions when they say anything you know, critical about him that they're probably like, screw this. Like, like I want to be a dick about Josh Allen because every time I say anything – that's like, hey, he has to work on this. I get you get you get ev- eviscerated. Like, if the, it'd be one thing if a national media guy said after the game, Josh Allen sucks. Like that. That's that's told. That's and then yeah, fine. Rake him across the coals if that's what he did. But they weren't. Key and Fahey, whatever the heck that guy's name is, who who like everyone hates him in Buffalo. He even gave Josh Allen credit after the game. You know, saying, oh, he was his best game he saw him play. Like. I think people want to keep up this whole charade of like, oh, Buffalo, Josh Allen against the world and and things along those lines. Like it's just it's just gotten to the point to where you can't you can't do anything critical about him. I I, I put something up on Twitter the other day where I was going through his quarters. Like I said, this is what Josh Allen did per quarter. And I I put it like ranked against other people like off the top of my head, I think, you know, through three quarters, he had like 175 yards passing, which is not really good. I mean, it's below it's below average. And I and I did a thing where this is what Josh Allen did three, you know, in comparison to the other quarterbacks who played on Sunday. And I think out of like the 22 quarterbacks, he was 18th in yardage through three quarters in comparison to everyone else. But then in the fourth quarter, I said he had 102 yards, which was the which was the fourth best out of any of the quarterbacks who played on Sunday. Guess what my reaction was to that tweet? It wasn't like, oh, yeah, he really picked it up in the fourth quarter. No, it was like, you're cherry-picking his bad stats. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm cherry-picking his bad stats. I'm using, like, his first three quarters. Like, I'm, it's not like I'm saying, like, oh, he was, you know, on the second and third drive, this was his numbers or anything like that. It's just, 
It's just everyone's just trying to be. It's just, I, I just can't handle it. It's 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 going to get worse. I feel where it's 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 morphing into beyond Tyrod Taylor Twitter, where Tyrod Taylor Twitter was annoying. I think this is going to mer- like go even beyond that because there's more hope into this guy than there ever was with Tyrod. I think. Sure. And it's just like whatever. Like, are there people who who probably want Josh Allen to fail because they because they want to be right about what they said about the draft? Yeah, sure. But I just don't. I just don't feel like having to have people RT tweets from two o'clock when he was not very good. It's four turnovers, people. Like it's not. That's not very good. It wasn't. It wasn't. He was dreadful. But like, you know, I don't remember Ryan Fitzpatrick when he would throw four interceptions and and have three hundred thirty yards, where people would go on Twitter and go, "Well, you know what? At least he moved the ball at will." Like, give me a break. Like, just have a little bit of nuance. You know, with it, and just don't get so like offended when people are like, "Hey, he wasn't very good in the you know in the first couple of quarters." You know, like yeah, they moved the ball a little bit, but it wasn't like I don't know. I I, I also think you know there are people who just, especially in like Buffalo, who I don't think understand like what other quarterbacks are doing in the National Football League right now. And to them, when they see like 175 yards, you know, after three quarters, they may think that's great. You know what I mean? But it's like, dude, like this is a passing era. Go look at what like Drew Brees or Mahomes and all these other guys are doing. Like that's the bar you want to compare yourself to. Not 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 that not what Tyrod Taylor did, not what Fitzpatrick did or EJ. Like you got to like look at what the the status is for NFL teams. You know, and that's why I said, hey, he was below average the first three quarters. And I used like look at him, compare him to the other quarterbacks who played on Sunday. His numbers were like 18th out of like 24. That's below average. Okay. If I'm using math, you know, so yeah, it's just, it's just kind of annoying. And it's, it, it, it it takes away from me fully, you know, I don't want to say like embracing Josh Allen because I want him to do well, obviously, you know, I'm a bills fan and that sort of stuff. But like, I'm just like, chill out. Like I, I, you know, it's just, I don't need you to be like the Josh Allen police and be like, and be, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like when we talked about like the chicken wing take from like, you know, weeks ago or, or New York city pizza where I'm like, Oh, Hey, New York city pizza is the best. And then it becomes, and it becomes like, how dare you say that right. about Buffalo? You know, it's just like, wait, chill, you know, chill the F out people. You know, it's just like a constant thing like that. Sorry if you heard the phone ring. So <laughs> that's all right. I'm going to tell you this. I agree with your assessment. 100% of Josh Allen on Sunday. No debating that at all. I agree a hundred percent. The one thing I will say is if you put yourself in the fans perspective, I think there's a camp of people that are kind of, they call it down the middle. I'll give you credit for that. I think you'll give Josh credit credit when he deserves it. And I think you'll blast him when he deserves it as well. I think there's a portion of fans out there that are 100% apologists. I got some buddies of mine. It doesn't matter how bad the kid plays. They're still going to find good things to say about him. No matter what he does. And then and this is where I think some Bills fans are the way they are. I think there's some media, whether it's local, mainly national, though, that just blasts the kid at every turn, no matter what he does. Like, they're not going to give him credit. They won't talk about the fact that he played well in the fourth quarter, that he went 8 of 10 for 102 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. He played really good in the fourth quarter, but some people aren't going to talk about that. They're just going to harp on his four turnovers in the first half. He outplayed Sam Darnold, who was picked ahead of him in that in that rookie class. I don't think there's any denying that. So I think I get it to an extent why some people are the way they are in terms of defending him. I think my biggest issue is this. If you want, if I wrote after the game that he played terrible and you want to come at me and say I'm wrong 
and throw out all kinds of stuff at me. That's cool. But when I'm criticizing the guy at halftime because he had four turnovers and was not playing well, then you know what? You got to you got to own that, man. You cannot yeah. say who out there is going to say that four turnovers in the first half is OK. And I get it again. Not entirely his fault. The fumble with him and Morse, you could say, you know, Morse is new to the lineup. He's been out. That was a miscommunication. Cole Beasley could have caught that pass, even though it was low and hit him in the hip pad. That turned into an interception. You know, Deion Dawkins missed that block. I mean, don't get me wrong. Allen should have held on to the ball, but when he got sacked and lost it on a fumble, it's not entirely Josh Allen's fault, but he was part of the problem. He wasn't part of the solution in the first half. He was at a minimum part of the problem. So when you're going to criticize the guy for how he played in the first half, you got to own that. You can't defend a guy having four turnovers in the first half. I think that's what my big problem is. Yeah, it's just, it's just, Look, he played fine overall. Like he 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 rebounded very well in the fourth quarter. Sure. But and like I said though, if you say that and in, in a tweet after you say this is where he's been bad at, and then here's when he's been good at, you get you get like a bunch of people who are just not happy with that. Like it has to be like he's this, that, or the other thing on a positive stroke. And and yeah, you know, there are national people who don't like him. I mean, there's I mean, I don't think any of the local media I think the local media pretty much all like him, it seems like. And part of the yeah. reason I think they like him. They've, learned always, think, they've accepted him. They know that, hey, this guy's here to stay. And even if they didn't like yeah. the selection of him in the draft last year, well, they've said, you know what, this is our guy now. We got yeah. to embrace I think him. They, I think they still like, they also like him, like him because, and I've talked about this before, I think because whenever the, the local, whenever the national media dig their heels into something and they're like, this is how it's supposed to be, whenever it comes to Buffalo teams, the local guys change it up and go contrarian to them, to them. It's like when they, when they bench Tyrod for Peterman and all the national people, you know, love thought it was a ridiculous, ridiculous decision. And then all the local people were fine with it. And they liked Peterman. Like sometimes I feel like that's part of the reason, like where the consensus is the national people aren't fans of Josh Allen. So the local people are going to be like, Oh yeah, we, he's fine. He's good just to be different from them. So I don't know. It's just like, you know, nat- let's just make it natural. Like, I, I just don't I just don't like going back to two o'clock, like you said, to to just RT someone. And I do think people here like locally are. I think there there is definitely a market for bills for certain bills, media people and for like bloggers, bills, bloggers to find people against Josh Allen and just blast them out there so everyone could get an RT and likes. I have seen people like I'm I'm kind of amazed at some people who, you know, who have more followers than me. So, you know, maybe this it's enhanced more who when they RT anything of like, you know, a Josh Allen criticism, like, look at this guy. How dare he like talk shit, of, you know, stuff about Josh Allen. Right. And then they and then they go and then I look at the likes and I'm like, my God, like this got like 700 likes on Twitter. Like. I don't think I've ever got the most likes I ever got was like 200, maybe, you know, and that's, and that's what I mean. Like, I think they're doing that purposely because they know that gets traction, you know, and it's just, it's just, I don't know. After a while it's becomes boy that cries wolf and I just kind of ignore it. And I try to be down the middle with Josh Allen. Like there's some good stuff he does and there's some bad stuff he does. And I'm going to call it between that. I, you know, I hope he does well, but I'm not going to. I, I'll never get into that whole like, oh, like, look at all these evil people criticizing him or criticizing Buffalo and all that sort of jazz. Well, it's I, just- you know, I'll tell you this much, and I find this really interesting, too. And again, it might it might give a little bit of credibility to why some people are like they are with Josh Allen, which, again, for the record, I've said it. I agree with your take 100 percent. But let's take Sam Darnold. You know what, dude, he did not play well. OK, he's in a bigger market. He's in the New York City market. 
why is this guy, I find it interesting. I've been reading a lot of articles this week. I'm not hearing a lot about Sam Darnold not playing well. If the Bills had lost that game and Allen turned the ball over four times, there would have been a lot of heat on him nationally. Pro football talk, ESPN columns, stuff like that. I don't really see anything about Sam Darnold. I see plenty of blame on the Jets losing the game because Adam Gase did a crap job coaching, because that kicker stinks, because C.J. Mosley went out of the game, which for the record, by the way, I think that's 100% true. I think it might be a completely different tone the way he was playing if he didn't get injured. But regardless, I don't hear much about Sam Darnold. He did not play very well as far as I'm concerned. He missed a couple throws down the field that could have been big plays. I remember, and I know this because I have Robbie Anderson on my fantasy football team. I was getting frustrated because the dude was doing nothing. And he was doing nothing because Sam Darnold was making bad throws to him pretty much all afternoon. He didn't get blasted. He's a New York City quarterback in that big, huge market. I mean, you know this better than anyone. You live in New York City. He's not getting blasted. Josh Allen got more criticism for two bad quarters than Sam Darnold pretty much did for four. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I saw Mike Francesa was having a conniption fit about how bad Darnold was in, in that game. Well, I, I, look, I, I, I can't say like, like that because I'm not there right now, but I will, I will assure you, like there were some back pages headlines that were not very nice to Darnold uh, about his play. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would say like he's got, he got Scott. He got the, like the Jets were a disaster. It's also like because because Gase is an idiot, and I think he's a bigger lightning rod to make fun of than Darnold is. You know what I mean? Or you know what I mean? Like I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say like he. Are you trying to imply that he got he he got scot free, Darnold? Is that kind of what your your stance is? You I'm think try, I'm trying to imply that he played terrible and he's in a big market, but yet I'm not seeing a boatload of criticism on Sam Darnold because I don't think the national media hates him, whereas I think a lot of the national media already has concluded that they hate Josh Allen and they're going to nitpick every single thing that the kid does wrong. And again, it's not to criti- again not to get away from our initial point, which is. Josh Allen deserved to be criticized for that first half because, frankly, I thought he was kind of terrible. You can't, I don't care, you know, if you throw four good passes in a row and then your fifth pass gets picked off or you fumble, that's not, that's not good football, man. I think the difference might be that Bill's Twitter is looking extra, extra hard for people not happy with, with Josh Allen, whereas, and I have no idea, I, I don't know if Jets' Twitter is the same. Like, is Jets' Twitter the same where they're trying to find people against Darnold? No, you know what I, I mean? not that like, I know of. Not that I know and, of, anyway. Yeah, like, I don't know. And also, look, the, the Jets, any New York team is always going to get more scrutiny than, like, locally. I don't know. It's weird. Like, you know, with Josh Allen, with national people, it's like, like, what's, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's more or less, like, I think, like, independent bloggers, like Aaron Schatz, like those guys, you know, f- football outsiders, they don't seem to like Allen. But if you look, if you if you remember, like, ESPN, when he got drafted, Kuiper liked him. Napoleon liked them, like Mike Mayock liked them, like the, the legit national, national people like at ESPN, you know, seem to like them. Like, I don't really remember, like, I don't know, maybe I don't watch ESPN enough, but like, I don't really, I can't recall too many. The only co- time I ever remember, like someone like criticizing Alan was like, was that, oh, I forgot what that show was, High Noon or whatever. That's on ESPN with Bamani Jones or I think that's his name or whatever. Like he was critical of him. Like, uh, like in terms of running, like this was last year against with that with the Miami game. That's the only thing I kind of remember, like someone from ESPN, like critiquing him. Like, I don't know. It's just it's just like I said, I I, I just think people here are trying very hard to find negative stuff about Josh Allen and then just like blasting it and go, how dare he? You know where I don't know if they're doing if they're doing that. I don't know if that's happening with Jets Twitter or like Cleveland Twitter or like Baltimore. Like. 
like here, like a perfect example would be, would be uh, Lamar Jackson. You know what I mean? Cause like Lamar Jackson, like in Buffalo Twitter, like I saw a few people who were upset, who I, I didn't agree with this, who, who thought like Josh Allen deserved more pr- or as much praise as Lamar Jackson, like going into this season, which I thought was stupid because it's like your one team got went 10 and six and they changed the season around when they benched Flacco and, the bills went six and 10. Like I, I, I would assume like Lamar Jackson should get more credit, but Lamar Jackson is a guy who got criticized. Come on. Bill Pullian said he should have played wide receiver for God's sakes, which is about as bad of a take you can have for a black quarterback coming out of the, coming into the draft to go, Oh yeah, he should be wide receiver. So I don't know if there's like this Baltimore Ravens contingency. That's like, where's Bill Pullian on Twitter? Let's, let's retweet this guy, you know, who didn't really like Lamar Jackson. You know, I just think it's like a Buffalo thing. Where it's like, you know, certain individuals where it's just like, we got to get these evil naysayers more so than other fan bases. And I, I'm just curious. I, I wish I knew more people who were Ravens fan. I have a, a friend who is a Ravens fan. I should text him to ask. But I don't know. It's just kind of just a, it's become a sport on its own where let's cover the people who aren't fans of Josh Allen and let's just really find them. And then and then just RT the hell out of them to be like, you're wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, man, let's put Josh on the shelf for today. It's going to be a long season, and I'm sure we're going to have multiple conversations about he's not going anywhere, his fans aren't going anywhere, and his critics aren't going anywhere. I do want to touch on something completely different quickly here, okay? Nobody, to my knowledge anyway, no one's really talked much about this, if at all. And this has nothing to do with the game last week or even the roster right now. But I found it kind of interesting, at least, that Jason Kroom, even though the Bills have four tight ends on this roster already, and that the guy was hurt most of the summer, he had a hamstring issue, and then he played in the preseason finale, but he still, I guess, wasn't 100% right. And so rather than releasing him, they put him on injured reserve. And, I mean, it's no secret here. And, again, me and you aren't necessarily trying to be conspiracy theorists, but, I mean, it's pretty well known he dates uh, Pagula's daughter. That's, that, that's his girl. And I feel like, and you tweeted about this maybe two weeks ago, and I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it yet until now. I don't, I don't want, again, I'm not saying that you're accusing it of being some kind of conspiracy or whatever. Or he's getting special treatment necessarily, but it is interesting. You can't deny that. And you also brought up a good point too. If this was a different market, maybe New York, Boston, LA, and that happened, then it might be a little bit of a bigger story. Whereas in Buffalo, it doesn't seem like anybody cares. There's a lot of variables to dissect from this whole story. First, you have to ask, like, why – it's tough to ask. Like, I don't know how you would ask this question. Like, I can't picture, like, Brandon being at a presser and then, like, Tim Graham goes, hey, why is Jason – is Jason Kroom on this team because he's dating Kelly Pagula or whatever? I always get the Pagula daughter's names. It's a tough it's, it's a tough thing to ask. Like, I, I would not – you know, I don't know if I could do that. That would be t- tough. But I'm just surprised that no one has written a column about it or someone has, like, mentioned it, like, passively on a podcast or anything like that. Like – this would be a story anywhere else. I mean, it, it would be like, why is this like, why is this guy here? And there is a there is like a bit of a, a paper trail when it comes to like the Pagulas and like some kind of nepotism in that organization. I mean, look, you could start with Rex Ryan bringing his stupid brother here when his brother was horrible and he had the worst rankings of defenses like ever. So it's like, oh, hey, we're going to bring the, you know, this this guy on. You know, there is nepotism in, in sports. You know, and and then you also have like the Pagulas and look, no disrespect to them. You know, if I had kids, I would give them and I had I was a billionaire. And if one of them wants to like open up like a, a, a Shake Shack or whatever or whatever the heck that that place is with the 
with the, those fruit drinks, like great, uh, more power to you, you know, or design one Buffalo stuff. They've given stuff to their kids to do that. And that's fine. Do that. But why wouldn't it? I don't think they came down there to say to Jason Kroom and to them, like, hey, you need to keep Jason Kroom on this roster. I just think the coach and the player, the coach and the GM may think to themselves, hey, you know, why not? It doesn't hurt to do this. And it's 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 it goes into that frame. And it also goes into this. I am not really a huge fan of how the media has acted towards the Pagulas over the last year. I think there's a lot of people who don't want to rock that boat, you know, in terms of access, in terms of, you know, find, trying to find hard questions to, you know, to, to ask them hard questions or anything like that. And I know they're not available that often, but, you know, one guy I remember in the, in April, in, in June, excuse me, I think it was the AP Waro like had an interview with them. And the first question I would have asked them and which was not in the article that he posted. There are a couple of them would have been, what's up with you guys firing Phil Housley? Kind of like, you know, what was the, you know, isn't that a concern firing around these cultures? And why did you fire, have, why was he fired in your you know, point of view? Cause you know, you are, you are the owners, you are hands on. And also like, how do you feel about Ryan O'Reilly, you know, winning the con Smythe and like, you know, looking, making you guys look stupid for that trade. And none of that was even asked. And this wasn't, this wasn't like far, this wasn't like this is stuff that just recently happened on all those points. And it's, it's like stuff about like, oh, what do you guys want to do for the future and things along those lines? So I bring this up with the whole Pagula thing because it's like, I don't know, I, I feel like they're they're not getting as much scrutiny from guys locally than they probably should in certain elements of it. So it's just like so this is another thing you're adding to it where when you get you get an interview with them, you're not asking them about. Ryan O'Reilly or Phil Housley or this, like, you know, it just kind of, I don't know. It's just, there's so much, I, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm freestyling a little bit here, but we go back to when Sully and Bucky got bought out or whatever. And like, if you listen to Sully and Bucky, part of the reasoning they thought was, it was had to do with the Pagulas kind of putting the car, car on a, or the, you know, this stop, stopping the Buffalo news with advertising and things along those lines. Like that's kind of what they felt like it. And I'm not saying I agree with that because I thought those guys take Skype old after a while. But, you know, maybe maybe it's sprinkled through to different newsrooms where there's people who are scared to really rock the boat of the Pagulas when it comes to how they run their teams and firing people and, and that sort of stuff. And like not not even bringing this up as a talking point in even like a blurb or on a podcast for the mainstream people, I think it's just. It's just weird. I would think it, it, it could kind of be like, why is this guy on the team? And maybe they don't think it's that newsworthy. I mean, I did have people who were like, you know, and I brought that up in my tweets. You know, they were like, oh, that's not it. I had one guy telling me that Jason Kroom's like this athletic tight end and he's got a lot of potential. And I'm like, OK, sure. dude. Like, yeah, my ass, you know, but well, I don't know. Well, I, I, big, I just, big I've picture, seen... I agree with you about the big picture in terms of Pagula, in terms of Kroom getting not getting released, still being on the team and getting on IR. I don't know. It's just, uh, it, it interested me. And uh, again, I think it would be a story. And that's kind of what your point is too. I think it would be a story, whether it's a good story or not, it would be a story one way or the other, I think in other yeah. markets. That's it would be a story. It would be a story. Uh, it would be a story. And I think not just that, but I think people would have asked like about them being together. Like I yep. can tell you, like, and I'm not trying to sit here and say like New York city is like the greatest sports town in terms of coverage. Like they're, they could be, you know, jerks there, but like that would definitely, they, they, that would make the New York post. Like that would make the page six of like celebrity gossip, like Jason Grumman 
and you know the Pagula Donner we're seeing here on Instagram or anything like that. You know, it it would it, even L.A. probably like they would they would kind of talk about that, and it's and you call it more tabloid. I you know that might be right, like in terms of like what they're doing on their daily basis or something like that. But it is look, it is it is something I think is valid. Like it's a rare case where a daughter is dating a player on a team, you know, the owner's daughter dating a player on a team. I can't recall that really ever happening. Right. Let's circle to the game on Sunday before we get out of here. Not going to deep dive into the game whatsoever. We don't do that on this podcast. You can listen to cover one. You can listen to the Buffalo beat. Plenty of other Buffalo bills podcasts are going to deep dive into that game. We're not going to do that. I just want a prediction from you come Sunday. How do you think the game plays out? Uh, I'm going to pick the bills 24 to 17. I think the Giants are the Giants are really like they're like Eli Manning, I think, is basically shot and the Bills defense is really good. Like, that's the one thing like you you couldn't that kept them in the game on Sunday, man. It was like that was the biggest thing. It was like good, you know, kick ass. And that's that's why they were they were only down by, you know, six points at halftime after like committing four turnovers. But I think it's, I think the, the giants, their offense, you know, is, you know, they got Barkley and that's really it on offense when it comes. And then, and then the tight end, I forgot his name, but he's, a, he's pretty good, Ingram, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Ingram. Yes. And, but that's it. And yeah, the giants, they have a lot of problems, you know, and, and if the bills lose this game, then it's going to be one of those. Oh, Oh no. <laughs> like, uh, maybe we got to, you know, go back on the, you know, these 10 and six record predictions. But, uh, I, I think the bills should be able to walk in and, and beat the giants. The giants are just, they're just not good. Well, the biggest thing for me, I think this team is built to win games and their cultures to win games that they're supposed to, or, you know, we're kind of used to these bills teams through the years, especially the last 17 years or so. They always find a way to blow games, lose games. They should have won in fashions that we hadn't seen before. I don't believe that with this team. I feel like this team is built, and they're going to win most of the games that they should. This is a road game. You never know. Road Young quarterback on the road, you never know. But if they can play well early, I, I think the crowd will turn on Eli. They'll start clamoring for Jones to play quarterback. Find a way to contain Barkley a little bit. I like the Bills, too. I, I, I'm i going to say Bills 24, Giants 13. There we go. That, that'll be you're gonna change. You're going to change your mind on Sunday no, when you I'm tweet not. it out. No, I'm not. I, I like the Bills a lot this game. Uh, last week, I'm going to admit it, I, I thought the Jets were going to win pretty convincingly, and I said the Bills would bounce back on the road in Week 2. I still think the Bills are going to win on the road in Week 2. All right, let's finish this segment up. You did your run-in. Now, as always, time for your final take, which we like to call the finisher. What's your finisher this week, man? What do you got? Uh, well, guess what? I'm changing it up from what I told you before this, because that's how I roll. Uh, so this week... I don't know if you heard this, Pat, but Steve Tasker on the, my, my favorite show ever, the John Murphy show, or no, One Bill's Live, excuse me, it used to be the John Murphy show. Uh, he talked up about culture and like he kind of crapped on the WGR host for being so, you know, anti-culture. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that culture has nothing to do with winning. I think there's a layer to that. You know, when it comes to that. But then he tried to talk about like the Bills culture from the 90s. And I'm sorry, the Bills culture from the 90s from following it, following them. And look, I wasn't in the locker room, so I, you know, I digress. But the difference between that culture and this culture, it's night and day. Like, I remember when I saw the the end of the game on Sunday, the Bills, they had the camera in the locker room. And then like McDermott reminded everyone, like, be modest and hungry to the media. And let me tell you something. Those are two words that the 90s Bills were not. They were not modest 
or humble or whatever. Okay, they were arrogant and they and they and they were kind of I don't want to say jerks, but they definitely were like a me me like let's get our stats going and it, it just I don't believe that whole thing like how you can compare the '90s Bills, you know, for T- Steve Tasker to say that that culture like helped them out tremendously. Okay, they had like eight Hall of Famers on that team. Like that's what that's what helped them. Get get to four straight Super Bowls. It wasn't about culture, I don't think. Maybe a layer of it was, you know, if you want to talk about like, you know, having adversity of you know missing Super Bowls in a row. But I think the talent had a lot to do with it. And I, I I'm just I'm kind of over this whole culture thing and it being like this big this huge talking point in terms of why the Bills are, are going to be good or not going to be good. I've seen enough culture people with with like Dick Jaron, with Marv Levy, and like they're going to get good people in here and all that. It's all about talent, and I, you know, I, I I respect Steve's opinion. He's a great player, but let's just let's just chill when it comes to culture. Hi. My name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thanks again to Addison Agan, singer-songwriter, former finalist on The Voice. What a beautiful young lady. Inside and out she is. Just getting started with her career. I'm really, really excited to see where it goes. Thanks as well to my man Joe. Always fun doing running segments with him. Before I go on and get up out of here, I do want to ask you, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, that you please go ahead and subscribe. When you subscribe, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. Got an iPhone, just open up that little purple app that says podcast. Type in Moranalytics Podcast in the search box. Hit subscribe. Bam, that's it. That's all you got to do. If you don't have an Apple, you can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. There's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I say it every week. It helps me grow this podcast tremendously. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, all kinds of other stuff. Again, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that take time out from your day to give this podcast a listen. It means the world to me, and I'm very thankful. Have a good weekend. Have fun. Stay safe. Talk to you again on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.